More Questions Than Answers with Julie Panessi, brought to you by the Democracy Fund. We've been through, I mean, think of what we've been through over the last two years. It's it's like watching an epic movie and it, things never lighten up, you know? I mean, it's just been doom and gloom and fear and hysteria and divisiveness and shame and stigmatization and neighbors turning on each other and families. I mean, it's all just been so negative. I don't remember how I came across one of the articles you wrote, but it had the word, it had a word in it that stopped me in my tracks. And it's a word that I haven't seen in print for at least two years. And the word was optimism. And I just thought that was so interesting. You've written, uh, I've now come to realize pretty extensively about the COVID narrative and the broader uh, sort of global political dimensions to that, if I can put it that way. And you've written pretty poignantly and sometimes unforgivingly about that and uh, the pandemic of um, sheepness or following or lack of critical thinking or things like that. But what really caught my eye initially was this idea that if things are as bad as they might be, right, if there is some greater global political strategy at work, and we're just sort of pawns in that larger game. And by the way, we don't really have any agency or any ability to control our lives or to, you know, to, to manipulate our fate in any way. Um, you come along and you say that that's not reason to be as down or depressed or fatalistic as, as we might be. So can you tell us a little bit about, well, first of all, we should introduce you. So your name is Michael Driver. You are the CEO of an investment bank, Convex Capital from Manchester. So first of all, can you tell us how did you come to write quite, I think, insightfully and sometimes poetically about what we've been through over the last two years? Well, okay, thank you very much for having me. And thank you very much for your sacrifice in your stand by the way I don't know if everybody says that but it, it should definitely be said uh, much appreciated here um, I, I, I was I was invited to write something um, by by my a friend of mine who was writing for uh, what was the conservative woman is that and now is TCW so I'd, I'd written I'd written stuff before but it was mainly boring business stuff and <laughs> I, I did um, I did do a podcast in April 20 that has some notoriety because they re-released it about six months ago under the caption, How Did He Know?, where I talked about the, the civil liberties implications of lockdown and where, where it could all leave. So, so I had some history of sort of calling, um, you know, call it, calling some of these. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I suggest I've got some experience there, which I'm now, now going to disprove by talking to you. But um uh, so 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 yes, I was I was asked to write something, and 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 we started to write occasional articles, just on on anything that we found. Uh, they kind of gave me free reign to write anything I felt was was appropriate. Mm -hmm. So so go, so going back to sort of the optimism point uh, and your point about the wider agenda, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think I, I really want to make a point there. Is is that the clear the clear it's clear sorry that the biz, billionaire class do have an agenda. They have an agenda that's separate to has no de dem democratic mandate, and they they apply their agenda through the various NGOs, which they are either either uh, uh, you know ostensibly or, or, or surreptitiously uh, in control of. So I don't I don't think we need to go down too many rabbit holes to establish that that fact. You know, Mr. Gates influences health policy on a on a global level. 
the the, the um, Mr. Schwab has, has openly stated that that he has operatives in every in every every government and, and the WHO. Uh, you know their actions, particularly in Africa and so on, show, show there's a there is a, a non-democratic influence in our society. That, that Which makes their their actions really non-conspiratorial because it's more open, I think, than people believe. I, I don't. I don't. The, the, the conspiracy theory label fails in this. Once we look at what's publicly available information, there is mm -hmm. no need for the conspiracy label. I do get a bit frustrated with people who go beyond that into the conjecture because it's fine to con have these conjectures. You don't need to. What is publicly available is it's sufficient for, to refute. <laughs> the, the 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 billionaire class's agenda. Um, um, I think the article you read was was when I when I, when I said the, the 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 only sane response to Davos is optimism, yes. and that was really going to the next level and and thinking about how we evolve as a society, how how society how how progress is made, um, and the point that I was making was that the the, the billionaire class are, are they seek to control everything from the top down. The, the analogy is they're trying to ascertain the position of every molecule in the universe. Mm -hmm. And then by therefore doing that through their artificial intelligence or some such other nonsense that they, they talk about, mm -hmm. uh, that in some way they'll be able to control outcomes. And, mm -hmm. and everybody's experience, I mean, we can talk about complexity theory, we can talk about Stuart Kaufman and what he says about living life forward into mystery. You know, the future isn't unpredictable because we don't have it, enough information. The future is unimaginable because it doesn't matter how much information you have, it will always surprise you. You, you can't infer Tinder from a silicon chip. You know, it, it, the emergence, as Kaufman looks at it, is you can't infer the outcome from the constituent parts. And, and sorry. Well, I was just going to say, because there's so much here to unpack as a philosopher, yeah. I can't help but think about the millennia old debate over determinism and free will. And, and this is very, a very interesting, I think, take on this geopolitical uh, problem, which is that there's this underlying belief that the universe is deterministic in some way. And if it's deterministic, then it's possible to come to know all of its moving parts and understand the causes that link those moving parts. And then if I understand you correctly, there's a, a moral failing there as well, because there's a kind of hubris or arrogance that comes on the part of some individuals thinking that they can know and then also possibly control some of those some of those parts. Well, I mean, Harari is a good example. You know, if Harari saw, the, saw, saw a pool of water on your tabletop, he would tell you the shape of the ice that made it. Um, but they, they have this they have this incredibly overbearing hubristic attitude, which which I think the article that, that, that you read is and point out that this the, the inevitable failure of this is is the you know globalism from the top down is is there's a history or you know a history is littered with the the failure of this ideology if you like how far back does that history go i remember that claim in the article and i wanted to ask you that is this something that we have always i mean has it always been the case that some individuals separate themselves from the, the group or the tribe and attempt this sort of top-down hierarchy hierarchical control over others i think it's i think history is quite difficult at the moment because hmm. we're seeing in real time how the victors paint history. So, so the history of the last two years is being painted by 
the people who are currently in charge. And if you come along in 50 years time and you read it, you're going to, you're going to be seeing a very different reality, I think. But I, I think the almost the events more than the historical, I'm not a historian, so I don't want to get into too much depth there, but you, you can take Roman Empire onwards, I guess, and see the decline of all uh, the, 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 these, these empires. And it normally is around that, that hubristic element. It's as, as soon as people think they, they've got nature beat, nature normally turns around. And uh, I think, I, think I, I use the Yiddish pro proverb, man plans and God laughs. But I quite like the Mike, Mike Tyson one, which, you know, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> it's, we, but I, what I, I think what I didn't really say in that article, but I kind of wish I had sort of looking back, is everybody knows this. Everybody knows that life doesn't go according to plan. And they know it every minute of every day. It's something people instinctively are aware of. And the other thing is nobody really wants it. And, and, and I read this amazing piece and I can't find it anywhere. And I've tried to convince myself that I came up with this idea, but I'm pretty sure I didn't. And it's imagine that we have a perfectly predictable world where, where, where there, there, is, there is never serendipity. So there's no serendipitous pos, po, positive events. There's no serendipitous negative events. So everything, your whole life is predictable, ordered, in the way that, that the, the billionaire class, as I refer to them, have it that they're going to make the world via this transhumanism or, or whatever other such nonsense that they come out with. Now, if there was a red button and that red button had random printed on it and that red button was in every house how quickly do you think everybody out there would be smacking that button well i'm not a psychologist this question perplexes me deeply i i i don't know if the root cause of compliance is a failure to be aware of what we're talking about today, or if there's an awareness or a gradual awakening to that kind of awareness, and there's a kind of malaise or moral reluctance or uh, exhaustion to, to cope with it. And I, and I do wonder frequently if that's just a result of the grandeur of our world that we just think, I can't, I can barely manage my household and my cell phone and my, you know, and, and now you want me to think about, uh, <laughs> you know, that the transhumanism, now you want me to think about that. <laughs> you know? So well, I don't Eric, know, I'm, I'm, I'm Eric, deeply... Eric, Eric Fromm would say we don't even know we're complying. Mm -hmm. So, so he, yes, he, he would you... say that can you consent to comply? <laughs> yeah, yeah, people. So I, I think, I mean, it, or somebody else you should probably get on is, is Ian McGilchrist. Um, and, and Ian McGilchrist, the, the master in his emissary fame, and he talks about the right brain and the left brain. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, it's a big subject to explain. What about you? Oh, did we lose, we, we lose we just, uh, uh, connection? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So, so. So what he would say is that, that, is that uh, our, our uh, way of attending to the world is being colonized um, by the left hemisphere. Hmm. And he, 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 that, that would explain the inability of people to see in context. So they, they would see the, the atomized, literally the list of things that everything is atomized. And it's, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so it's very difficult to, for people to put things into in, into context. So, I, I think that 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 sort of hemispherical explanation. He, he even says himself, he, even if it's a metaphor, 
that's okay because metaphor is how we understand the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, 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 I, re- I highly recommend I recommend his book. But um, it, I, I think I think it's not that people are necessarily conforming; they don't realise they're conformist. I, I think that may be some some explanation. They believe they're making a free choice towards communal cooperation in a well. An I think uh, Fromm's phrase is automate on conformity. Mm-hmm. So 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 people don't know they're doing it. It's 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 automatic. Mm-hmm. And packaged beautifully. We're all in well, it my, together. Who wouldn't want that? <laughs> well, my theory, my theory is is really that we're in a hall of mirrors. So, so what, what, what the technological society that we live in has created is, is created via, via screen-based culture. It is, it is effectively severed us from our instincts, from our intuition. So, so. Yeah, let's, let's dive into that a little bit because I know, um, so, so let's go back to the idea that you have that the lockdowns have infringed on our civil liberties in certain ways. And I'd like to connect that to the point you're making now that screen time, and we've had more of that over the last two years than ever before. How is that having an effect or how is that sort of further entrenching the harms that the lockdowns are doing to our civil liberties, do you think? Well, I think what what screens do is is that is intuition is, a, is like a reverberative process. So, so within if you were face-to-face with somebody you just pick up so much more of, of unspoken communication. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if you're in nature, you're picking up so much more information than you do. And it, 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 the screen is a, ray, a re, repres, representation, so it's a reifying pro, progress. So I think, I think what this screen-based culture does is cut, cut you off from your, your natural instincts. And you can actually see that in a lot of people who've kind of gradually, Jordan Peterson, to use a... Uh, a Canadian example is somebody who had the vaccine, but later, it's like his instincts let him down at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then and then he late he later came to the conclusion that 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 what was going on, that uh, he, he he he, but he he had to almost rationalise that, so he'd lost contact, if you like, with his intuition, his instincts, and I think what's particularly happened in the UK is that the 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 working class who are necessarily more in contact with their instincts and their intuitions than the middle class are, it was the working class that started saying no. And it's the working class that stopped the progress. Perhaps why we didn't end up quite quite where you are. But if you're close, if you're a manual worker or blue collar worker, as, as you would put it, if you're closer to your survival line, if you're, if you're constantly uh, having to think about tomorrow and and how you get through tomorrow, you're much closer instinctually, perhaps, to to your intuitive understanding of things than than if you receive all your information via the media, be it be it the the, the, old, the old media or, or social media, and you've abdicated almost your instinctual reactions. When, you, when I think much of the middle class have, ba- have basically abdicated all responsibility to the billionaire class, which is, and I think that's how that kind of non-virtuous circle works. That's interesting. It sounds a bit like the idea is that intuition is a defense mechanism, but you have to use it in order to keep that muscle, if you will, strong and um, that, that not be not 
needing to work day to day for your survival gives you a sort of luxury that that disables that intuition and are yeah are we just an intuitionless culture do do we just sort of move about and and if we are if we are lacking intuition what is it that motivates us then like what is it that's the root of our decisions or what generates our desires if it isn't a kind of intuition well, firstly, I think we evolved instinct and humility to, to survive in an uncertain world. They're, they're the two things that have kept us as a species that have kept us going to, to now. Uh, and and that, that's essentially living from inside to out. And I think what we now, what we now do is we live from out, well, or lots of people do, is they live from outside to in. So they wait to be told what to think. They wait to be told what they should be doing. Then they wait to be told particularly what their beliefs are. Um, and, and I think that that's the opposite to how we've got here as humanity. So I think, I think that's, that's the dynamic. So I, I, the second half of the question was the second half of the question. I don't, I don't know, but I'm, this is so interesting to me because as you're speaking, I'm thinking, I mean, so much of literature captures the opposite idea. You think getting far from the madding crowd, a room of one's own. I mean, even you think of someone like Emily Dickinson, who was an agoraphobic and maybe she took it too far to the extreme and, and was, was handicapped by it in a certain sense. But um, we have not in the past ever, I don't think, privileged or prioritized our participation in the public space space at the sacrifice of our private sphere have we and we've lost like yeah. if we don't have a room of one's own anymore we can't how can you kind of restabilize your your mental life how can you calm the chaos that comes from being out in the world every day well it's the removal of people's interior life i think i think i think that's what social media what constant uh, screen exposure does i think it takes away the interior life who reads anymore who's got the attention span to read anymore um it's we scroll we don't read but but what what, what we want everything in two second sound bites nobody wants to think deeply about anything because it's kind of hard and it's much harder when your attention span's been shortened via you know the the, the 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 medium and it's humbling because you might ask yourself a question that you don't know the answer to you might ask yourself a few questions you don't know the answer to well not knowing not knowing is something that we used to be comfortable with mm-hmm. not knowing is very is, is probably is pro- uh, being comfortable with not knowing is probably the reason why the human species is here today and we're now reversing that is that you have to know we have to have the answers for everything and i think that is very very dangerous because because we can't have the answers to everything and i think that's where the danger is with with what the billionaire class are doing at the moment as a student of history i think a lot about the tragic the tragedies the classical tragedy tra- tragedies and um i just can't help but wondering if as a species we are that we have a kind of tragic flaw and that we're in process towards making decisions that will propel us toward that end and you know the way the tragedies always turn out is that there's some sort of climactic culmination of this tragic flaw that destroys the hero's life usually and then you know a kind of self-awareness comes from working through those feelings in a sort of catharsis but there's always a disaster right that that leads to that 
kind of enlightenment or self-awareness. Do you think we're on that sort of course? I think it's dangerous to be pessimistic, sort of going back to the optimist, because it, it can become fatalistic, it becomes, becomes defeatism, like, like, like this sense that, uh, I think I mentioned that, 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 that to me, the flaw in some of the opposition is the assumption that the project, the WEF project is doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Harari's project or Schwab's project. The, 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 this, this, this isn't doable um, at all. And, and, I, and I'm very much of the view, the very optimistic view and the fundamental optimistic view is actually they, Davos man. It's him that is essentially fighting the teleological arrow of the universe. And, it, and we are not. It's them that's got the impossible task. I mean, I, I think a, a universe that, that um, you know, with beauty, with unfolding uniqueness, um, is, is already teleological. It already has a purpose. And, and it, the universe does not like to be um, organized. It, you know, it does not like to be predicted. It does not like to be second guessed. And it, it's, it's, it's them that are fighting against this, this teleological purposeful arrow of, of the universe. You know, it's a verb, it's not a noun, a verb with many adverbs. It's not noun chasing nouns. Mm. That's, 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 that's the reality. So those of us that, if you like, I, th- I think I said surf, um, s- surf the emergent reality are actually in, in the flow of the universe on what Davos man and Wethman is fighting, if you like, that um, rich unfolding of uniqueness. Because what they're saying is that they can predict it, so therefore it won't be unique. Now, mm-hmm. the universe isn't like that. So their, their, their whole thesis is against if you like, the entire universe. So they're fighting the entire universe. And this is why they will lose. They will eventually lose. Now, the criticism I had when, I, when I've said that is, is what about the collateral damage? Which is a little bit like your point there is, is does there need to be a, a, some catharsis, some inevitable, inevitable fall? And I think that, you know, we have the opportunity to learn from history. We have the opportunity to say, does it have to be like this? Um, and it doesn't have to be like this. You know, we, we, I think one of the most wonderful, I was, I was actually tan, in Tanzania earlier this year, one of the wonderful stories I heard of the pandemic was, was the, were the way that the civil disobedience in Tanzania, where they tried to enforce the masks and the lockdowns, and people just, they didn't even say no, they just didn't do it. Mm. It's not even like they went through the process of refusal or the process of no, they just didn't. <laughs> and, and and I think that's just so powerful. What's going on there? Can you, do, do you know, are you familiar enough with the culture? I mean, what I think, is I think it's, as the, I think I've said previously, you know, the Green New Deal is neither, neither new green or a deal. Um, and uh, uh, the NGOs that op- operate in Africa seem to represent corporate interests at heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and perhaps what what we re- regard as 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 conservation organisations are quite the opposite. So I think there's a very complicated scenario evolving with regard to you know the wildlife parks, the Maasai. It's not simple, uh, and it's not a black and white scenario. But there's there's a, there's a lot going on in Africa. I think um, 
Willie, William Easterly wrote a fantastic book, The Tyranny of Experts, where, where he looks into, you know, the, the effect that uh, uh, th those of us in the West ha have had, particularly Mr. Gates and he, he, many, many arguments. I think in the New York Times before they... Uh, before they became wholly colonized, he, he would have many arguments with, with the Gates Foundation and, 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 and the top-down solutions that the Gates Foundation are trying to impose, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in Africa particularly. So, so Tanzania, I think, is, is particularly complicated. They're, they're trying to shift the Maasai further off their, their ancestral lands at the moment. So it is quite a complicated environment, but, but fair, fair microcosm of what we're experiencing in the rest of the world, I would think. Here in Canada, sometimes I feel like we've had life so good for so long that we have little reason to be skeptical. And skepticism doesn't always have to be um, negative and pessimistic. You could you can have a healthy kind of skepticism, right? And I think that healthy skepticism is just a kind of critical thinking. It's just having a, a rational filter such that when data or information enters your mind, you work on it a little bit. And you are able to, after a while, when that's developed and it becomes intuitive, we were talking about intuition earlier, you're able to sort of recognize something that if you hold it simultaneously with another belief in your mind, you get a contradiction. So we, we, we quickly, but I think we've lost that in Canada anyway, uh, culturally and probably largely due to our, our education system broadly understood, have lost that ability to create a filter between what comes to our mind through the from the world and then the ideas that we generate as a result of it because we hear frequently here that well uh cbc said or cnn said therefore it must be true without the individual um assenting to or refraining from assenting to that conclusion right and so it's in very interesting to me that there are different levels of maybe healthy skepticism in different cultures throughout the world I think I think something else slightly is going on. So so I, I think it's certain types of people that are skeptical. I, I, I think that perhaps always the, the 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 majority, I think you would have chaos. Uh, I, I think a lot a lot of it's about the width of the edge, the width of the edge being just right. So so I think there's I think uh, and, and I am. I, I always qualify the word evolution because because there's some there's some bits in there that I'm not completely convinced about. But probably another topic. But um, but but from an evolutionary perspective, I think we've always had, uh, and I call this group of people the Mavericks because it makes us look cool. That's the main reason for calling them. But you've always had people who are just skeptical, um, and that is that I I am. You know, my friends would say, if everyone walks that way, you just automatically, I, 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 I accept that is, is true. So I, I think there is this, I used to think it was the entrepreneurial. And I, I, I still do maybe think that epigenetics has some part of it. It would, it would almost make sense. So, so, but I think you have, and it needs to be not too, you would have, it would be, it's sort of that thing between totalitarianism and chaos. Uh, and, and I think if everybody thinks the same, you have totalitarianism, but everyone thinks like a maverick and you're just going to have chaos. <laughs> so, so I think it, it makes sense from an evolutionary perspective for, for there to be a, a significant but small percentage of people who are inherently sceptical. Now, a good way to transmit that generation to generation would be via some sort of epigenetic phenomena. And I, I used to conjecture, and I perhaps do conjecture, that entrepreneurialism was a result of a highly stressful childhood. So, so, so I, wonder, I wonder if that might be the thing that triggers 
uh, a percentage of people um, to be mavericks. So I think what's actually happened is they've just marginalized those people. So rather than try, it's a lot easier. Rather, this, I have a slight issue with, with uh, Mr. Desmet on his uh, mass formation uh, psychosis. I, I, I don't, I think he's, he's got something there. I think, I think there's, a, there's definitely something going on in there, but I think it does two things. I think it, it kind of minimizes the fact that most people are fairly conformist and that's good. And some people aren't. And what they've managed to do is completely mar marginalize the sum. I guess it's why you're having this conversation with me and mm. not being continuing to teach at university. They've, they, well, unsuccessfully now because you've got podcasts and, and great support, but they tried to marginalize you because you're a maverick. Silence. And it, yeah, yeah. And, and, you're and out I of think species, that, right? It's that. What, what, what's, we, we, you know, six companies own most of the media, you know, two or three companies, maybe even, even one organization without getting too controversial is control of controllable social media. So, so it's all politically influenced. So um, they, they, what they have managed to do is marginalize the maverick. So rather than persuade everybody to think a certain way, those people were likely to be, I, mean, I, 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 I don't like to use the word manip, manip, manipulatable because it, it sounds derogatory. It, 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 there's nothing wrong with, with um, you know, with, with a conformity. We wouldn't have a society without that. But what they've done is they've turned that conformity to their advantage. But I think what they have done is is to get rid of us, or to try and try and get rid of the likes of us. I think we've been very successful at, at taking our voice out of society. We need a term like like reflective conformity or something. I think the idea that you you're aware of the fact that you are agreeing with others, but you're doing it in in full awareness and for a reason, and you I consider. I think for a long time people did. I think for a long time people did that, and maybe that's the thing they've been cut off from from the um, with with the social media and with with the screen based culture. But the other thing I think the Desmet uh, theory, and I, and I and I think is a real massive flaw, is looking at this this uh, mass psychosis. He misses the real problem, and the real problem is acquired psychopathy. So acquired psychopathy is what happens when you get too much money. And, and that that that's the real issue. The, 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 it's almost blaming, he's almost blaming the population, whereas it is those that are doing the manipulating, the billionaire class, who, I'm not saying every billionaire is a psychopath, but the, it, it acquired psychopathy is a much more interesting topic to me than, than, than the Mr. Desmet's theory. Well, I wonder, is that true just for the billionaires or is that true of many of the rest of us as the as our, our incomes are, are increasing and our buying power and our credit and our um, are we getting a kind of. No, uh, no. I mean, I mean, this is this is from personal experience. So so I come into contact with with very wealthy humans mm -hmm. and I'm not saying they're all psychopaths. So I'll never be able to deal with them. <laughs> But I, uh, the good thing about being able to say something like this is anyone I know will just think he's not referring to me, so it'll be fine. But uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, I, I think most people who come into contact with very rich people, there's an amount of money that takes you beyond mm. morality, beyond any moral. Superhuman, superhuman yeah. level of money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, have you noticed that how, how superheroes suddenly became billionaires? <laughs> what, what did he say in Batman what's your superpower I'm rich mm. 
So, so I, I think that the, the, the debate is missing the most important constituent, which is what is dry. Don't worry so much about what's driving the population. They, they, they've not done anything wrong. Um, I, don't, I don't hold people responsible. I, 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 I hold the people who, who attempt to force mandates, whatever the mandate. I have a big issue with those people. But people who made their decisions and they took their decisions, which were different to ours. That's absolutely fine. We shouldn't be worrying too much about those people. We should be worrying about, it's not many people. Um, we should be worrying about the billionaire class who have an agenda that is different to ours. And you don't need to be a conspiracy theorist to see this. It is, it is clear they tell us what it is. So what do, um, we do, what do we do about this? You know, if I if I listen to you and I believe you and I think, all right, well, I'm not going to let this Klaus guy control my life anymore. I don't think I can just call him up. I guess I could have gone to the... I, you know, I could have gone and asked him a question in person, it, but that's not what you're talking about, is it? We, we need a kind of an, an awareness. I think we need the worst, but I think we need an alternative solution. You know, hmm. the, the true battle of our times isn't left be, left be right. We're kind of baited into these, these hmm. visions. Yeah, we've been divided all over the place, hmm. the re recent. Um, Supreme Court rulings included, and what 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 the real battle is is between command and control technocrats on the one side, and adapt to survive emergence on the other. And the problem is the command and co control technocrats control all of the media and therefore all of the debate. So what, what we're not doing is we're not we're not presenting, or or, or there's not enough of us presenting ground up solutions. To, to 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 as an alternative to their 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 centralization. So they, they pursue this centralization fallacy that somehow that they can control the position of every molecule in the universe, as I said before. And what what we should be we should be deriding it. We should be deriding it because everyone's experience says it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. There has been so much talk about fear over the last two years and how crippling it is for thinking clearly and for operating as a good moral person. Um, and I'm thinking about your, your concept of optimism and optimism requires a certain amount and maybe kind of confidence, doesn't it? But fear and confidence are, are maybe corollaries of one another. You, it, you need to build up confidence in, in other things, things beyond yourself, but maybe most importantly, self-confidence in order to manage that fear. So can you can you speak a little bit to that point? I mean, how do we, if optim, is optimism deeply connected to confidence? And if we have a crisis of confidence, how do we start feeling optimistic about the future? How do we build that optimism muscle again that we seem to have lost? Well, I'm not sure that, that I think fear and confidence are often the same thing. So I actually think courageous people are the people who, who are more afraid. Hmm. So I, I, it, what, what, what precipitates action? I, I, you know, as, a, as a serial entrepreneur and without going into that in any depth, <laughs> yeah, what, what's mainly driven me? You know, it, it is fear of failure. And uh, I, think, I think they're much more closely related than, 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 than opposite. So I think you can use um be aware perhaps people haven't been afraid enough or perhaps they've been afraid of the wrong things but there's a there's a great line 
I think, with well, it. What's the starting point? So I was trying to think. I, you're so kind to say I write poetically, and I am. I am quite the uh, quite the student. So there's there's a great um, Canadian. I think he was born in Canada, Mark Strand, mm-hmm. and uh, he he's he's a line line from his. Uh, I think it's called the Next Time, and he says the line. The lovely line is that if we knew how long the ruins would last, we would never complain. Mm-hmm. And essentially, he's saying that this is it you know this this is the moment that we have as humans what's the alternative mm-hmm. but the, there is no alternative to optimism the ruins of our lives will last for an eternity after we're gone this is it it is beautiful I, I wasn't kidding when I said that that you're poetic I mean it's the um failure to be optimistic is to fail to be human isn't it and it it leads to a kind of defeatism and if you lose your optimism if you lose your hope if I'm allowed to unite those two ideas although we might have to have a chat about whether optimism and hope are the same thing but if you lose your positive feelings about the future your ability to look towards the future um then you've lost your you've, you've really lost what it is to be human because you've lost your confidence in your ability to affect change in the world. You've lost your, the gravity of your, the footprint of your life. You know, you've, um, we have such a crisis, well, in the UK as well. I mean, we have a children's mental health crisis here in Canada and the States. And I know the NHS declared a crisis a while ago. And uh, about a year ago, I was talking to a university student And she said that basically no one under 40 thinks that anything good will ever happen again. I mean, talk about the death death of optimism. It's on the extinction list, I think. I think one of the things that they, we talk about they is, you know, it sounds a bit nefarious, doesn't it? But I'm very clear, you know, it's, it's, it's it's a class of people with an agenda that isn't democratic democratically mandated that is as different to what the majority of people want and i think what one of the things they're trying to do is to is is to divide the species and and i think that they and this is probably quite a radical view i think they are taking their cue from history but i don't think it's from 1939 (laughs) i think the cue they're taking is from 55,000 years ago when when the neanderthals disappeared so I think I think what I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to divide us um, between the analog and the digital, which I think is a great a great phrase for thinking about the the the, the, the different ways in which it's from a guy called Gerald, Gerald Ashley, hi Gerald, good friend of mine, um, and it's the way that we we attend to the world, uh, either either digitally or analog, and. Um, uh, and Nick, Nick Hudson may have said, you know, his, his theory of how we accumulate knowledge by, by a cultural evolution. Uh, and sometimes the culture moves too fast for us to keep up with. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what the billionaire, what the Harari, WEF class want to do is to have this digital interface mm-hmm. that unless you, unless you become this transhuman um, abomination that they they want that they, in somehow you will you will fail at that cultural hurdle that evolutionary mm-hmm. hurdle if you like um, and I, I think that's that's the way they're seeking seeking to divide us and I, I think in the digital world and the only way they can make this 
wholly predictable environment is to close the system. So in an open system, you have unpredictability, you have nighty and uncertainty, you have, have this, this wonderful unfolding uniqueness. Whereas in a closed system, you only have what the system gives you and the system is programmable in order in order to to become predictable and 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 in there there is no cause for either hope or optimism in that digital world because it doesn't apply to anything and what they're both referring to is the is the is the unique ability within our universe to produce beauty it just keeps coming they can't stop it it's it's like when you're walking along in you know a concrete um pavement sidewalk and a beautiful flower is just poked up between the stones. And no matter how hard they try, they can't stop it from coming. This is one other reason why they're going to lose. This is the nature of reality. Is that you don't require a particularly, a particularly religious bent to know this. We all know it. You know, we all know it when we pull the curtains back in the morning or we watch the sunset every night. You know, the, the, the universe is, has, a, has a purpose. Um, and you don't need to be, you see it all around you. You don't need to be religious to know this. And, and that part of that pur purpose is the unfolding uniqueness, the rich unfolding uniqueness that is presented to us. And they can't stop that. But the only way they can, the only way you can make it look like they've stopped it is by closing the system. You know, this idea that, you know, chess doesn't contain life, but life contains chess. So they, they want to play chess on a chessboard. The problem is, of course, is that, you know, I think it was the famous phrase, wasn't it? Is the pigeon sometimes lands on the chessboard. Mm. Is there any meaning to be found in this digital existence, do you think? I imagine some people who, um, you know, were quite willing to get on board with the vaccine passports and will be quite willing to get on board with automated bank, you know, any form of sort of uh, connecting all the various parts of ourselves digitally might say, well, this sounds pretty great. It sounds like it's going to make my life easier. I can just tap whenever I need something. I can show up at the airport and they can probably scan me to see if I have a, it sounds just a lot easier. I can detect illness early on and then they're going to fix it more likely and I, I will be healthier and I will live longer and I can travel without obstacle and I can somehow learn more because they'll just put ideas into the chip that in my brain all of this sounds great what's what would you say to the person who is feeling quite positive about that digital sort of existence three words has it yet <laughs> has it made your life easier yet i think you struggle to find somebody who feels like they work less mm -hmm. because they're connected digitally yeah most people work an awful lot more and even if they stop working, they're still connected to work. Um, so what, what I think the digital um, connection has done has given employers the opportunity to be in constant touch with the workforce, constant. Mm. So who switches off? So, so the, any, any, any sense that their life is, it, it's, it's, it's inconvenient. You know, and, and there's a the wonderful William Merwin poem called Convenience. And, and he and he says that we'd sacrifice our lives for it. But for, for convenience. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be what what the bargain is. Um, you know, how much how we you know, we will start wars for convenience. How, how much mm -hmm. are we prepared to give 
for convenience. And, and I think that it, 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 it's, it's I love this other phrase, um, other Merwin phrase. I think about it a lot. It's reading by lightning. So there's no context. So you, you, you're in the dark, lightning bolt, you read a tiny bit of what's in front of you and then it goes dark again. And I think that's the way we're living our lives to, to some greater or lesser degree at the moment is, is, is it shorn of context? What is the context of the convenience that the, this digital world gives you? The context is you're never alone. You never use your imagination. You never turn off. You're never um, not on call or beholden to something or somebody. Uh, what are you prepared to exchange for your convenience? You're exchanging your entire life for this digital convenience. So I think it's that, it, go back to this raid, it, it might seem convenient if you're reading by lightning. But once you get out into the daylight, the context becomes much more apparent. And, and there, is, there is absolutely no evidence. In fact, the evidence is absolutely the contrary, and you referred it to, to before, is that, pe that people are getting any happier. Mm -hmm. people aren't any happier because they're connected digitally people are are very unhappy and yet it's very, yeah, it's why? A very do they not know why mm. i don't know i don't know the answer to that question it's very interesting isn't it people who are our age or older or, or a bit younger are encountering this after having lived another way in a more analog way. But I wonder what life will be like in 100 years or in 40 years or even 10 years when you will have you will have 10 year olds who possibly lived their were formed their character was their minds, the synapses in their brain were formed in this digital world to the degree that we have it now. And you were speaking about mavericks before um people like us who are quite happy to step outside of what we see as a kind of unreflectiveness and um but can can you have will you be likely to have mavericks or as many of them or of, of, of the same kind or with the same kind of passion or force in a world that creates minds in a certain way from the very beginning that's more along that digital track than the analog track well, the, the, this is obviously an inbuilt assumption in the question is that is that the digital track is going to continue. Mm -hmm. I, I suspect not. And the digital track is 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 still a minority of human beings on this planet. Mm -hmm. So it's probably only one out of the seven billion of us that are here that are connected in that way. And we tend to only see that world. There's an awful lot of pe people on the, the planet who aren't connected in that way. So, so I think it, I think it's probably two pronged answer question. If everybody was plugged into the, in, in digitally, uh, I suspect that nature would have a find a way of upsetting that apple cart. <laughs> so, so, I, so I'm not, I'm not, I don't think necessarily. But if it was possible, then I, I do believe that everybody would would become uh, automaton in in the in the manner that you've described. But I don't think the world is like that. I don't think the world's going to end up like that. And also, I think people instinctively, even the people who are much younger than us instinctively somewhere know that this isn't, I think everybody knows that something isn't right at the moment. Mm. So where does that, I'm more interested in where that goes, this niggling mm -hmm. sense, speak it's to pain. anybody, the pain ask anybody. That, 
feel that something's wrong. Almost everybody will say, I'm more interested in where that goes. I think it's much more likely that becomes the uh, prevalent mindset than, than this sort of digital mindset becomes. So you think um, originality will overtake compliance eventually if we pay attention to that pang of conscience, whatever that is in the in the gut that's sort of nagging us. That... So Th Thoreau said, "In wildness is the preservation of the world," mm. and he, he doesn't he doesn't just mean the wild out there. When 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 we think about you know we think about the, the wilderness, for instance, you know he was sat in his cabin by the pond or whatever he 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 means the wildness in us you know the thing that you haven't got control of the thing you, the thing that is outside of, of your reach um and and it's in everybody mm. the preservation of the world is in everybody because nobody has everything is unexpected and and wild um and, and, civilization and I think can be far more savage than we ever realized well, it, wild doesn't necessarily mean bad. Mm. It means free in some ways. Yeah. So, so it, it's that it's that part of us that we just can't control. It's that part of us that's just out of reach. Um, and I think that is the the part of us that's calling. When you say to people, "There's something wrong," it's the wildness. It's the it's the attempt. Um, there's a fantastic. See if I can get this right. There's a fantastic aphorism um, with the book's called Voices by Antonio Porchia. And he said, um, that which cannot be domesticated in a man is not his evil, but his goodness. Mm -hmm. So I think Hannah Arendt had something to say about that, didn't she, in the, the banality of evil. Mm -hmm. It's evil that is domesticated and it's good that is wild. And in that wildness is the preservation of the world. And that is in every human being. So I think that they are, you know, trying to separate us from all of those mm -hmm. senses, intuitions. And I think they're going to fail. Now, the question I always get asked when I launch this three beer conversation is, but what about the <laughs> collateral damage? Mm -hmm. And that, that, that does worry me. I, 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 but I, the purpose of maybe this conversation and one or two of the things I've written is, is to really talk about the, the opportunities that we have to present the alternative case um, based on the fact that it's us, us that are going in the direction the universe goes and it's the, the other side that's fighting the universe. You know, I think it isn't a coincidence that we, we have uh, accompanied this kind of um, sort of Techno technologically obsessed uh, culture with a sort of, um, you know, lack of attention to uh, the, the liberal arts more broadly understood. I think a lot of people don't know that the liberal arts used to include what we consider to be scientific disciplines now. And so there was mathematics and astronomy, but alongside that, there are things like poetry and literature and art. And um, those are the things that, help us to, I mean, it, it might be the case that technology, which comes from the Greek techne for, for tool, or it, it might be the case that technology is a wonderful tool for humans once we understand which goals are noble. And once we understand how to frame that tool in a way that serves us and not the other way around. And our loss of 
the, the, the broad sense of the liberal arts, which is the arts that were appropriate for a free person as opposed to an enslaved person, is that you understand that full range of disciplines that a human is capable of engaging in. And I think we're, you tell me what you think, but I think we're, we're seeing um, the, a kind of hubristic focus on what science, science and technology can do for us uh, because we have forgotten the ways that it needs to be packaged and understood to make our humanity uh, the kind of actualized potential that it can be. I think, I think um, what it does is it takes away context. Mm. So that, that's what technology does. Te technology is by its very nature focused on a particular outcome and that outcome doesn't encompass. And I think, I think, Hmm. One of the major faults with, with the lockdown advocate community was they failed to see the second order effects of lockdown. Some of the things that, that you've been talking about, the civil liberties, the mental health, so on and so forth. Hmm. Um, whether, aside from whether lockdown works or not, and it's clear, it's probably detrimental. Um, uh, aside from that, you know, what are the second order effects of, of these policies? And I think what, what this scientific mindset, if you like, this uh, left hemispherical mindset does is, is it fails to look at the second order effects of anything that you do. And, 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 and what it then leads to is this constant drive to do something. Mm -hmm. um, like the only way to solve a problem is to, is, is, is to um, attack it one dimensionally. Mm -hmm. uh, and I absolutely do agree that, 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 that the, the failure is to see things conceptually and therefore to see second third fourth fifth order effects of, of of policy and i think that is one of the biggest problems that we, we face um on the other side on the sort of lock, lockdown advocate side is they didn't compute any of it there was no cost benefit analysis you know i michael i don't know how many interviews i've, I've done how many interviews where i've interviewed someone i've done over the last nine or ten months but in none of them have we talked so much about um, positive things and optimism and why we should reframe our thinking not to be so um, pessimistic and I, I really I, I greatly appreciate that can, can you, you. <laughs> <laughs> well I, I am with uh, with uh, compliments yeah no it's wonderful I think we we need to change the narrative we need to change the words that we use and the way we think about things and how to move forward. Because if we don't, we're just going to be, we're, we're gonna be at a kind of, not just political stalemate, but a, a civic stalemate. We're not, um, I can't tell you how many relationships, I don't, I don't know what it's like where you are, but how many relationships are just broken and stagnant or strained and stagnant. And we need, I, I think we're at a point where, I mean, yes, I know there is some sort of waking up among people, um, but, it's not going to be the case that in the next week or month we have people radically changing their views about what has gone on over the last two years and we have to move forward despite that and um you know i, I think a lot about moral repair and how we acknowledge the brokenness that's happened between people and societies 
but we can't just look backward. I mean, his, history is wonderful. It's the best teacher we have, I think, but we can't just um, get stuck there. We also have to think about how we use that information to, to move forward and look to the future. And it's very useful and very human, I think, to frame our current circumstances in the terms that you've given us. And I'm wondering, can we leave off by you telling people where they can find your writing and the things that you find to be interesting these days? Uh, so I write for Kathy at uh, TCW. So I used to be called, called the Conservative Woman. So if you put my, my Michael Driver, author of Conservative Woman, in the search, you'll find um, most of the stuff that I've talked about today. I think in the in the articles I've I've written for Kathy, bravest woman in Britain, the way she's been uh, suspended, blocked, defunded, you know, de demonetized by 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 just about everybody um that's what, a good time you know she's likely to be interesting then <laughs> what, what am i interested at the moment i mean i'm i'm a total geek so you know <laughs> i yeah i uh, what what am i reading at the moment i read the latest murakami uh so i don't i don't know i'm interested in what it's really writing? hard to... what are you writing right now what's your next article I I'm not writing anything at the moment. Um, I, it's too embarrassing to say what I actually am writing at the moment. So <laughs> well, we'll have to check back with you. <laughs> we'll save that. We'll save that if I ever finish. Um, but yes, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Michael, thank you so much for your generosity of time and uh, for sharing your ideas, which is always the most uh, the greatest gift we can give another person. So thank you so much. And, and thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we we should all be in your gratitude. This is what we need to do. Thanks for hanging out with me today. If you enjoyed watching this video, please consider making a tax deductible donation to the democracyfund.ca slash donate.